I believe that's what Jesus is saying to our church today, to us. Yeah. That he's saying we need to be awake to what is going on. We need to be awake to him, awake to what's taking place in the world, awake to the times that we live in. You know, when I was a, a kid, I, I grew up in, a, in kind of a traditional church. And uh, we used to say this thing. And, and some of you will immediately know the response when I say it. And the thing is this. We used to say, it, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He used to say it three times. So let's do it. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Why do you think there's an indeed? Why is there an indeed? Why not just Christ is risen? Here's why. Because it's certain he's risen. There's no doubt about it. And he's the only one who has ever risen from the grave. He is the only one who has conquered death. He died for you, but he rose again to give you new life. And people who lived when he was around should have known what was going to happen. And right now, we should know what's going to happen from here on in. And so... I, I kind of had a talk ready for this morning, and Cheryl said, you can't do that one. Go back to the Holy Spirit. So I, I went back to the Holy Spirit, and here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, I want you to preach the whole Bible in one go. So how are we looking for July <laughs> for lunch? Here's, here's the point. Jesus is not just somebody who lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the whole point of history. He's the whole point of life. He is God's indeed. We're not going to look at every verse. But I want, I want you to look, just turn to this one. I think Jules has put it up on the screen. Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Has God indeed said it? You see, when God speaks, he speaks indeed. He always keeps his word. His word is true, it's unchangeable, and it's an indeed. It's not a, a doubtful word. You know, I think if we, if we examine some of the stuff that comes out of our mouths and some of the stuff that we say and some of the stuff we hear other people say, we probably all agree that we're not very good at the indeed. We're pretty good at fudging stuff. We're pretty good at lying. We're pretty good at covering ourselves. We're pretty good at presenting a, like a public face. I, I sometimes wonder, you know, like when I see people I, I don't particularly know on Facebook, like how much of what you see is real? Because I know from them, those who I do know, and I know from myself, that, that it's not all real. It, it's not all warts and all. It's just an angle of a, a thing that you would want people to see. And, and we live these lives that are not indeed. They're not um, 
not joined up. They're not always full of integrity. And, uh, but Jesus is God's indeed. There's um, two guys, they're called Peter Stone and Robert Newman, and they were, they're mathematicians, but they're also believers. And they wrote uh, this, a book called Science Speaks. And in the, this book, they, what they did is they tried to work out what is the statistical probability of one man, whether accidentally or deliberately setting out to do it, fulfilling eight of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled? Okay, so there's over 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus. So they took eight of those. I'm kind of guessing they didn't take the virgin birth and they didn't take the raising from the dead because that's just like impossible. You, you know, you can't put a statistic on that. But, you know, like, where was he born? You know, and all those sorts of stuff. So they took eight of those prophecies and they worked out statistically. What was the probability of one man fulfilling those eight, eight prophecies? So that's eight out of 300. Now, I want you to look outside and see, you know, the fields and the playing area and all that sort of stuff. Then I want you to let your mind go, and I want you to imagine from the tip of Land's End to the top of John O'Groats. And all the width in between, the entire United Kingdom. So Ireland in, all the islands, the Hebrides, the Shetlands, the Orkneys, all that in. All that land area. Then I want you to imagine a two-pound coin. If you had enough two-pound coins to equal the probability... The probability of those eight prophecies being fulfilled is, is to 10 to the power of 17. So 10 to the power of 17 of those covers the entire United Kingdom to a depth of six inches. That's the probability of eight of those prophecies being fulfilled. There's 300. And apart from the ones relating to his return, they were all fulfilled in Jesus. And it's incredible, isn't it? You see, this, this book that we call the Bible only has one topic, and the topic is Jesus. It's all about him. So if it's not pointing forward to him and saying what he's doing, it's looking back to what he's done and, say, and celebrating and saying he's coming again. And so when God gave that that. That when Satan came up with that indeed, God responded with an indeed. Because if you remember, uh, Eve took the bait. She listened to the lie. And then Adam listened to the lie. And they ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat, and they fell. And because of that, because of their doubting God, because of their rebellion against God, sin and death and sickness and pain and evil was able to enter the world. And this was God's response. I'm reading from Genesis 3.15. So this is the third chapter of the Bible. Adam and Eve have just fallen. 
And this is God's response. I will put, he's talking, who's he talking to? He's talking to Satan. And listening are Adam and Eve. So he's talking to Satan and Adam and Eve are listening. They're the only people there. And this is what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman. So between Satan and the woman. And between your seed, those who come from you, and her seed. He will bru he shall bruise your head, he shall crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. Bruising of a heel is temporary. Crushing of the head is permanent. So right from that moment, right at the beginning of all things, the world is put on warning and starts looking for the one who is to come, the one who will crush Satan's head. And here's, here's the point that God's making. Time is limited and the head crusher is going to come. Time is limited, and the one who will crush the enemy's head is going to come. And, he, and he, what he's saying to, to Satan is basically, you think you've put your poison into people, but he's going to deal you a knockout blow. So he's coming. He, he's right at the start of the Bible. The whole Bible is saying he's coming. And so watch for him every year, every month, every second, every minute of every second of every day. Watch for him because he's coming and he's getting closer and he's getting closer and he's coming. And right from the beginning, the Bible is saying that. And, and, and so what, what did they do? Well, at that point, they realized that they were naked they never realized that before because the glory of God was shining from them. And so they took some leaves and they covered themselves with leaves, sewed them together. I don't know how hard it is to sew leaves together, but it strikes me it's not an easy thing. So they thought that was going to be a good covering, a good covering for their nakedness. What's the point? The point's this, that no matter how many leaves you sew together, eventually they dry up, they crack, and they fall off. So you have to do it all again. So it covered their shame, but their shame was still there underneath. Their, 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 their sin was still there underneath. And every, every so often, when the covering fell off, the sin would be exposed. And so what did God do? Right at the beginning, remember, he took and he, he took a young animal and he took the skin of an animal and he covered them with the skin. So he killed the animal and covered them with the skin. Because Jesus was going to come and he was going to cover our sin and our shame and he was going to put things right. So even, even in that act of covering He's saying, Jesus is coming. You see, here's the thing about the Bible. When you read it 
and you know Jesus, it makes total sense. If you read it as any about anything other than Jesus, it doesn't make sense. You go like, why would you do that? Why would you like take a skin and cover them? And what's that got to do with Jesus? But when you know Jesus, he's all through the word. He's all through the Bible. Remember, six inches deep across the entire UK. And that's only eight prophecies. And going right through, he's saying he's coming. He's coming. Isaiah 61 says this. There's a lot of verses this morning. I don't need, you don't have to look at that. Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful for my God because he has clothed me with what? Garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So Isaiah is prophesying that one is going to come who's going to give you a garment that's called righteousness, that's going to cover over all that stuff that you can't cover over yourself because it's on a temporary basis. Let's go on a bit further in Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. So what's happened here? What's happening here is God has asked a man who's following him called Abraham to give him the most precious thing he has. God has asked Abraham to give him his son. And so this is what happens. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham, even though he's been asked to sacrifice his son, says, I'm coming back. Now, we find out later in the Bible, that's because Abraham thought, if God's asked me to do this, but he's already promised that the nations will come through my seed, my children, God's going to raise him from the dead. So God expected, Abraham expected God to raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. And basically, Isaac has a panic. He goes like, what are you doing, Dad? Why am I tied to this table You've got a knife, and there's, there's a fire about to be started underneath me. What, what is going on? And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, as God had asked him. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. 
So Abram went and took the ram and offered it for the burnt offering instead of his son. And Abram called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The burnt offering was a sacrifice for sin. Sacrifice for wrongdoing. Now here's, here's something that I don't want you to miss. Who is the sacrifice for? Who does it work for? You see, it's not just enough to say, I want to follow you or I give you my life. It's not just enough to say that. You see, what was the whole point of God doing this for Abraham? He said, what this has shown me, Abraham, is that you fear me. Now, that's not fear as in terror, although if it had been me, I'd have been terrified. But what it means is you reverence me. I'm number one in your list of priorities, and you follow me and do what I ask. You obey me. So he's saying, for those who obey me, I will provide the sacrifice. So those who follow me, for those who make me number one in their lives, I provide the sacrifice. It's for those people. So we're starting to see the gospel that gets played out at Easter be talked about. That God will provide the sacrifices for those who make him Lord of their life. Why is it a burnt offering? It's a burnt offering because it was meant to cover and take away the wrath of God. In Revelation chapter 14, you find out that actually the wrath of God is referred to as the cup of fire that is poured out on those who don't follow him. So once again, you see, he's coming. The head crusher is coming. And the offering God will provide is for those who fear the Lord. And then you get all these people in the Old Testament that seem to live lives just like Jesus. You know, the ill points to Jesus. For instance, Joseph. How many of you know the story of Joseph? Well, Joseph has this, this, this dream. And he's told that one day everybody... All his brothers and his family and everybody will, will bow down to him as Lord. Now, Joseph's not very wise, and he goes and boasts about it to his brothers. So he's got a lifetime to learn. But here's, here's what happens to Joseph. Now, try and work out who else this happens to. He is sent by his father to feed others and give them bread. He's rejected by those he went to, his brothers and his family. And those close to him plot his death. They strip him of his clothes. They shame him. They sell him for the price of a slave. He's taken to Egypt. He's in, and they put him in a pit and they leave him for dead. And he's left 
in this pit as one dead. And he rises from the pit. And he rises to become the exalted ruler. And the people from every nation come to him in Egypt and bow before him. And they look to him to be saved from the famine that's besetting the world. Does that ring any bells as to who that's like? You see, the Bible talks about Jesus all the way through. It's not just a day on a cross or a day rising from the tomb. And here's what Joseph says at the end of his life. He says, what you meant for evil, God intended and turned for good. And the greatest day of evil ever was when we put Jesus on a cross. And what we intended as men who did not know him, nailing him to a cross, ramming and beating thorns into his skull, what we intended for evil, God intended for good. It speaks of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and, and they're looking and they're going, what, what's he saying? And he's saying, he's coming. He's coming. And here's the point. Everything gets prophesied. What gets prophesied? Genesis 3.15, he's born of a woman. Genesis, Micah 5 verse 2, he's going to be born of a woman in Bethlehem. And do you remember that? That, that when the, the, the wise men come and they follow the star to where Jesus is, and they say, where's the king? Nobody has a clue. And they all have to go and consult to where this king's going to be. And he says, I'm going to be in Bethlehem. That, that's what the Bible says. But they didn't know. Why did they not know? Because they didn't care. Their world was like it is right now. Where people don't care about Jesus. So they're not watching. They're not thinking. They're not saying what's going on in our world and what does it mean. We, we are stuck on our own little um, lives and our own little agendas. And just like them, we're not watching. We're not looking. And, and despite the fact he's prophesied, they didn't know where to look. And so what else is prophesied? That Jesus, the Messiah, would be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah 7.14. He would come from the line of Abraham. That's the passage we read, Genesis 22.18. He would come not only from Abraham's line, because remember, Abraham has lots of sons in the end. He'll come down Isaac's line. So that's prophesied in Genesis 21.12, that he would come through another line that came from Isaac's line called David's line, and that he would be the heir of David. He would be the king, Isaiah 9, verse 7. And his throne would be anointed in eternal, Daniel 2.44, Psalm 45. He'd go to Egypt for a season, Hosea 11, verse 1. A massacre of children. How about this one for unlikely? A massacre of children would take place at his birthplace solely because he was born there. How about prophesying that 
2,000 years before it happened. He'd be preceded by a forerunner. That's Isaiah 43, Malachi 3, verse 1. He's going to be rejected by those he came to save. Isaiah 53, Psalm 69, 8. And despite all that, he kept his promise. He came. He's coming and he came. And, you know, the Bible even tells us what he'd do when he came. Here's what it says. That he would teach and speak in parables. Okay. That's Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. He'd heal the brokenhearted and be anointed for his work. Isaiah 61. He'd give them a garment of praise and a garment of righteousness. Remember, he talked about that back in the Genesis, covering. He, he, would, he would plant new life and new seed and give people a new heart. Let me just read that to you. Isaiah chapter 61. So I want to show you something. You might remember that Jesus read this passage when he was asked to speak in the synagogue. And they gave him this scroll. And they, they gave him Isaiah 61, and they expected him to speak on it and teach on it. And, and, and this is what Isaiah 61 says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus sits down. But there's another sentence here. And the day of vengeance of our God. He's coming. The head crush is coming. But the time he comes, when Jesus comes, that last part is left out. That's really important. He came to save, not to judge. He came to provide a way by which we could be reconciled to God. And he said, I am the only way to be reconciled to God. Because this is what I've come to do now, but there's a day of vengeance that is coming. You know, in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, it's prophesied that he would be called king of the Jews. Now, here's a really interesting thing. The people who didn't like Jesus actually used that true prophecy to mock him because they took that prophecy, they wrote it on a strip of wood, and they nailed it to the cross and said, now who's the king of the Jews? You on that cross. You know, when uh, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey, that Palm Sunday last Sunday, and we, it tells the, the story of that in Luke 19. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and that was prophesied. It's prophesied not only that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, but the time when they should expect that to happen 
was prophesied. It's in the book of Daniel. So here's the thing. You're, you're living then. You've been told there is a Messiah coming who is going to bring salvation for everyone. You've got a book of all, where it's all written down. And it says, at this time, the Messiah is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And you miss it. Why? Because those guys were more interested in being seen doing church and putting down palm leaves than they were in actually receiving him as Lord. And it is only to those who fear him that he brings the salvation. He brings it as Lord. And so they're doing this. And not only this, most people are going like, what's all this about? It's that, it's that, it's that Jesus guy, the one who's going, going around healing people and feeding people. And, and so we like Jesus. But we don't like Jesus enough to follow him. We like Jesus for what he gives us, but we don't like him enough to follow him. And here's what Jesus says. He says, because you did not attention and you missed the day of visitation that you should have known, I'm going to tear this temple down. This temple where you think you are worshipping and waiting for the Messiah and you do not even realize he has just rode in on a donkey, exactly as he said he would. So this temple's coming down because we ain't doing religion anymore. Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. And, and we have to get that. You weren't saved in order to go to heaven. You were saved so you could have a relationship right here, right now with Jesus. So let's stop investing our time in doing all the religious stuff and start investing our time and our energy and our attention in getting to know Jesus so that we don't miss him. We don't miss what he's doing. We don't miss the times. And then we get... And this is just amazing. This is absolutely wonderful. Here's, here's what was prophesied was going to happen to Jesus. They're all up there. I'm not going to read them out. A close friend will betray him. He'll be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and the money, this is specific, will be given to a potter. To buy a pot, that's the field that Judas bought, called the potter's field. The sheep will scatter when the shepherd is struck. All the disciples, apart from John, ran away. False witnesses accuse him. He'll remain silent when he's oppressed. He will be mocked, beaten, and spat on. He'll be given vinegar and gall as a medicinal substance. Remember, they tried to give him that. They gave him that on the cross. He will die among criminals. His clothes will be divided and lots cast for his garment. Enemies will insult and mock him and he'll be an object of scorn. God himself will forsake him. And yet he'll be buried with the rich. 
How specific is that? More than a thousand years before it happens. You know, people, and I just want to nail this on the head for you. People will say, well, that's because they went back and wrote it down afterwards. You know, there used to be, some of you will probably know this, there used to be a problem with that in that we didn't have uh, any Old Testament manuscripts that preceded the life of Jesus. So people put that out there because people who don't want to really put stuff out there. But, you know, God is an indeed God. So if God says it, it's true. And you know what happened is, I can't remember the exact year, but you all will know of these things. They found these things in a, in a community called Qumran where there was Essene the scholars. They called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this, this kid found them in a cave. And then they found them and found them. And you know what they were? They were the Old Testament intact from hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus fulfilled it all. And so that took it all away. That took all the arguments away. He fulfilled all those things. Here's the point. He came like he said he would. Exactly like he said he would. And in coming, he crushed Satan's head like he said he would. And you know what? It was Satan and the people who follow him that put him on the cross. Because Satan couldn't decode all the prophecy. He didn't see it. What was there for everyone to see couldn't be seen by those who don't know the Lord. And we look at that and go, how can you not see that? How come Satan still put him on a cross and brought about his own defeat when the man's just ridden in on a donkey? Did Satan not know the scriptures? Yes. Of course Satan knows the scriptures. He used that to try and tempt Jesus, didn't he? He knows the scriptures probably better than you or me. So what's his problem? He doesn't understand the scriptures. You can know the word of God and you can memorize it and you can come out with it by rote and still not really know it. And he thought, if I nail Jesus to a cross, I win. And the Bible says, no, if you nail him to a cross, you lose. And he still did it. Because these things are for those who want to know Jesus. Who are willing to make him number one in their life. This sounds crazy to other people. And yet it's all there. Thousands of years before it happened. In minute detail. 
I don't know what it would take if you did 300 prophecies and what the probability of that is. But if, if, if eight prophecies get six inches across the British Isle of two pound coins, I don't know what. But it's deep. It's just like beyond. You know, that's one of the reasons I know it's all real. Because it can't be not real at that level of probability. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. I came to regain that which Adam lost. Jesus is God's indeed. You see, Satan doesn't in understand an indeed because he's never done an indeed. He's a liar and there is no truth in him, so he can't do indeed. That's why he made the mistake he did. Because he judged God by his own standard. And we still do that. We still doubt God. We still try to make remake God in our image to be what we'd like him to be instead of who he is. So he came. And he did what he said he'd do. And then it was prophesied that he would rise from the dead. And he came. And he did what he said he'd do. And he rose again to give new, new life and new birth to all who would believe on him. And then the Bible said, this Jesus who's going to rise from the dead, he's going to ascend into heaven. And he did. And the angel stands there at the graveside and he talks to, to Martha and, and the others. And he said, as you saw him going on the clouds, not at the grave, as he descended, as you saw him going on the clouds, he's going to come again. What does that tell you? It tells you he's coming again. The one who crushed Satan's head the one who defeated him the one who made it possible for you to be born and have relationship with God and be restored and covering of righteousness he's coming again how do I know he's coming again because the 300 prophecies that said he was coming the first time will fulfill and God indeed has said he is coming again and when he comes again we don't want to be like they were. We don't want to be, I'm great. We've got this fantastic church. Here's my olive branch. Here's my palms. Jesus, you're amazing. Be like I want you to be, Jesus. We don't want to be that person. We don't want to be ignorant and not ready. He's coming for a spotless bride, not a dirty mess. What's the spotless side? The one where your garment of righteousness is showing. It's not covered up by the rest of your life. You've got the garment of righteousness when you're born again. But it needs to show. 
And it's prophesied that he'd be seated at God's right hand. Where is he right now? Seated at God's right hand. And you see, when he comes again, not only Satan's head will be crushed, but all his body will be crushed. All those who are not following Jesus will be judged along with Satan. He's risen, he's been, he's been raised to heaven, and he's coming again. Remember what Jesus said when, he, when he'd, he'd risen again, and he's on the road, and he's talking to these guys who are kind of debating, because they've heard the rumors, but they don't know if it's true. And this is what Jesus says to them. people why do you find it so hard to believe now that was me wasn't it clearly predicted that the messiah would have to suffer all these things before he entered his glory and they're going not getting it jesus so it says that he then took them through the writings of moses that's the first five books of the Bible. All the prophets, that's all the rest of the, the Old Testament, explaining from all the scriptures concerning himself. It all comes back to Jesus. And Jesus said this in, in John. You search the scriptures because they, you think they give you eternal life. But it's not the scriptures, it's the scriptures who point to me and I'm the one that gives you eternal life. Here's the point. He said he would come and he came. He said what he'd do and he did it. And the likelihood of that is so improbable that it's impossible. And yet it's true. And now, on Resurrection Sunday, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm coming again. This time, be ready. This time, search the scriptures to see what they say about me. Search the scriptures to see what they say the world will be like when I come back. Really simple one. When he comes back, the, the bulk of the world is going to be in the position that it was in, in the days of Noah. That's prophecy. It's unfulfilled yet because it relates to him coming back. What's the world like now? What does he describe the world as it was like in the days of Noah? Obviously, we're not like dressed in long garments and headbands and all that sort of stuff like in the days of Noah. Jesus says, here's what the world will be like. People will be going about their lives and not bothering 
at all whether I'm coming back or not. Because they just want to do what they just want to do. And Jesus says, when you get to that point in society, I'm coming. When you see wars and rumors of wars, I'm coming. That's the starting pistol being blown. When you see viruses that engulf the whole world, that's the starting pistol. We're getting ready. When you see the church falling away, I'm coming. And he describes it. And he says, watch, look. So on this Resurrection Sunday, that cost him so much to give us that garment of righteousness, we want to be those who show our garment of righteousness and not leave it all covered up by all the rest of our life. That's the point. He did what he said he, will, he would do, and he will do again what he said he's going to do. So we need to get ready. So let's stand. Let's do Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. coming again. He's coming again indeed. Christ Because he loves you and he can't coming to himself. It's good news. Good news. Jesus. You know, if you don't know. Or maybe you've just kind of like drifted, drifted along. Now's the moment to make it about you. Where Jesus becomes number one for you. Where the one who gave his life for you, you decide to follow him. Everybody bow your heads. And if you want to follow him, if you've never made that commitment before, and you want to do that now, while everybody's got their heads bowed, do not look. Do not open your eyes. But if you want to make that commitment, if you just I've just heard about this, Jesus, and I want to follow him, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but you need to put your hand up. You need to respond this is if you're in this position where you feel like well i've just drifted my garment of praise isn't showing too good my garment of righteousness is got a bit grubby and put your hand up and we're going to pray thank you thank you praise you jesus so jesus we come to you now we thank you that you did what you said you would do and that you will do what you said you will do. And we come to you without our own righteousness. 
And we ask you to forgive us and give us yours. And Lord, where our garments of righteousness, that, 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 that payment for sin that you made for us, where they, they haven't been showing, Lord, I just let go of everything that's in the way of that. Yeah. And I ask you to give me new life, to live in me in a new heart by your Holy Spirit. And I give you my life, Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's just give Jesus and what he's doing for us. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Glory to you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. You know, um, you can't out-thank God, so you might as well be a bit noisier about it. Thank Jesus. Thank Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to you. You are worthy. Worthy, Jesus.